Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you again and again and again. No matter what circumstance or situation we find ourselves in, you're always there. So Lord, we praise you, we worship you, we honor you. Amen. Please be seated. I just want to echo what Zach said. It's something that he had in his heart this morning and I had in my heart this morning. And just a sense in which the battle is raging. And the battle is raging for the church. You know that? Yes. The battle is raging for the church. Uh, there is a sense in which there is this constriction that is trying to take a hold of the church. Uh, to get it back to the place where... It becomes comfortable and easy and safe. Uh, but church has never been safe. The church, when it's vibrant, has always been at risk. It's always been in a place where it's close to persecution, close to uh, of, uh, going against the grain, not in a rebellious way, but in, a, in just in a way of worshipping God. Because if there's one thing that the world and Satan through the world doesn't want us to do, is to give Him worship and gather and worship God. Mm -hmm. But God, that's, and it's not something that God, God allows us to make our choice, but it's our choice. But there is a battle on for that. I just am reminded of, of how those disciples, when they, they healed, the first, uh, first healing after Jesus had ascended into heaven by Peter and John, and how the Pharisees came to them and they said, you must not preach in the name of Jesus. You know, they didn't want to stop them completely, but you just mustn't preach in His name. And, and they said, we have got an obligation to God, not to man. And that's what we have. And that's what the battle is on for, is an obligation to God and not to man. And, and that's what we face every single Sunday. And there's a lot more happening in the spiritual realm when it comes to Sunday than I think that we're actually aware of. And when I say Sunday, it's the gathering, the time of gathering, whichever that may be. And obviously for the majority of the church it is on Sunday. But whenever there's a gathering of God's people together to worship Him, there will always be a battle. And we've seen that raging at the moment. And uh, it comes in the guises of many things. But we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to be praying. Anyway. Alright. So there are a few announcements. I haven't got them on the screen. But you can just bear them in mind. There is a prayer meeting on Wednesday. In light of what I've been saying this morning. Very important. Let us gather together to pray. Online. Just connect via the, the, uh, the Microsoft Teams is what we're using. Just a, a, an idea that if you're going to hook in through your phone, you will need to download the app if you're using a phone. Not so a computer. A computer, you can use your browser. But if you are, it's easy. You don't need to sign up. Just download it. But really, we encourage you to come out for the prayer meeting. And then on Friday night, we've got the Liberty Live Junior. Uh, also an online meeting. Prince is taking a hold of that and running with it. And they are really doing a great job again. It's something that we pray for. Anything that the church does in this season to make the gospel go forward is going to require a battle. So even if you're not a part of it, it's good to be praying for that 
uh, occasion on Friday night. And just really be praying. You know, we want to raise up. We're raising up every generation that is behind us. And, you know, some of us are further ahead. Some of us are behind. Uh, but we're always looking ahead to those who have gone before us and looking behind to those who are coming after us. And that is the gospel. We should be continually doing, looking ahead and looking behind. Looking ahead to the right people, obviously. Those pioneers, those soldiers of the Lord that have gone before us that were not swayed by, by the things of this world, uh, by the, the pleasures of this world, but were prepared to give up their life, as we will see this morning, because that's what I'm going to be preaching on. So if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be starting off in the Gospel of Mark. And just some information about the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel means a good message. A good message. And obviously the good message is a message about the kingdom and about Jesus the King. It is believed that this Gospel was written by Mark the Evangelist, which we find in Acts 12.12 12 and 15.37, an associate with Paul and a disciple of Peter. Possibly one of the disciples of Jesus, not one of the twelve. Uh, there is a reference in only in Mark which speaks about a young man that was in the Garden of Gethsemane that um, was with them when they were praying. Nobody knows their name. Mark, it's suggested, is the person that was in the garden and they stripped him of his clothes and he ran away. All right? And it doesn't mention his name. And they possibly the only person that might have known this is Mark. And they believe it may be Mark. And it's called one of the synoptic gospels in that. All right. It shares information with both Luke and Matthew. And synoptic is the, if you hear that word synoptic, it's just important information that you might want to know. It means that it shares information with the other gospels. And there are three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels in that they share information. 50% in Luke and pretty much 90% of Matthew is contained in that. So when the guys did these, wrote the gospels, they were drawing on information from people that had eyewitness account of what was happening. And so that's why they share this information. First and foremost is a factual account of history. And that's very, very important because if there's anything that the unbelievers are going to go after, is that whether it's a factual account. And I want to read from Luke 1, verse 1 to 4. And Luke specifically wrote his, I mean, he wrote for uh, Paul as well, but the, his specific works were obviously the Gospel of Luke and then also Acts. And then it says here in that, Luke 1, verse 1 to 4, tells us why. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself, Luke the doctor, carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So here Luke, this is away from Mark, Luke writes it down to give a factual account so that it's not hearsay or story, it's actually an account of what has happened. Very important. The, the historical credibility of these accounts 
is critical to our faith. And I know because we debate them often with people and people are trying to bring the factual aspect of the history of the gospel of the gospels into disrepute but it's very difficult to do that because the way it's written it's written as a historical account and thank the lord that he sent old luke along because luke was specifically like a historian in the way that he wanted to do a factual account so that our faith does not rest just on a story that somebody told, but somebody that was actually documenting a real account of what was happening. So very important to understand that. And I, as I said, have often, and even at this present time, are debating some of the guys that are down to some people that have been Christians and have left the faith because they believe that this is just eyewitnesses accounts are not a reliable account of history. And there's just, it's impossible. If you read the Gospels, it is impossible from a literary point of view to actually fabricate this as a story. It's not possible. So it's important that the factual aspect of the Gospels is very important because it actually gives us a foundation for our faith. It says, yeah, but we know for certain the accounts are as true as any other part of history. And no man can deny the historical credibility of these accounts. They will try. And believe me, there are many people that are trying. But it, it is credible. You know that um, the copies, the copies of the original documents, okay, so we haven't got the original documents because it's a little bit old. But there is something like a couple of million manuscripts available there is more it's not like it's not like this is like a scant account the copies of the originals there is a plethora of them so it is there's no other aspect of history that's got the the um, documentation from as far back as 200 AD that we have today so we can <laughs> we can we are resting on the side of factuality, not of, 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 uh, uh, of a lack of facts and a lack of history. So it's, um, to me, it's exciting. And every time I have, you know, I forget about these things, then I have to go back and I have to look them up. And when I go back and look, up, look them up, I think to myself, well, you know, anybody that's a doubter, it really is, I don't know why they're doubting. Because history is on the side of the believer, not on the side of the unbeliever. The accounts are on the side of the believer, those who believe. And that's great. So that's what we have in the Gospel of Mark. So let's read this first part of the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, and the thongs of whom, whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And I baptize you with water, 
that He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Powerful introduction into Mark. And what we see, this section of the gospel is preparation. That's what the word for today is preparation. Preparation. That's the word. God prepared by way of speaking about John the Baptist through Isaiah the prophet some 700 years before as one, would as one who would prepare the way for his son. So this was prophesied long ahead ago, 700 years before this happened. And now John knew that this prophecy was about him. He knew that this prophecy was about him. In John 1.22 it says, Finally, this is the Pharisees that went to ask John the Baptist, Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent, sent us. What do you say about yourself? And verse 23 it says, John replied with these words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the one of the, I am the I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. So John the Baptist knew that this particular prophecy, seven hundred years before, was about him. All right. So this portion of Scripture is about preparation, and we're going to draw some things for our lives from this thing of preparation, because preparation is very, very important. So we're going to just draw some uh, things that we can draw from uh, for our own lives in terms of preparation. Preparation begins when God speaks. So preparation begins when God speaks. Amos 3 verse 7 says this, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing about revealing His plan, uh, does nothing without revealing His plan to his servants, the prophets. And every single one of the believers, and that's why I believe Jesus said that among a people born of human, uh, among men born of, uh, people born of men, none is greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What he was saying, that we are all prophets. Every believer is a prophet. They operate out of the prophetic, the spoken word of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. They are the ones that God speaks to in terms of revealing His plan ahead of time. And that's what it's saying in Amos 3.7. God reveals His plan either directly, Rhema, or through His word, Logos. In this scripture, we see how God prepared ahead of time a word for John the Baptist when he would come onto the scene. And John the Baptist walked into this, into this world that had been spoken about 700 years before. And he was work, walking on this word. God always prepares he, his people through the word he speaks. And this comes to us either directly... And if you read in, and I'm not going to go into detail, there's two words that are used uh, for the word. One is called rhema, and the other is called logos. Logos is that which is written down. The logos is the Bible. And the rhema is the direct word of the Lord to His people. And so we as believers rely on those two things. God speaks to us through His word, the logos, but he also speaks 
rhema directly to us and through our hearts. And He speaks into our hearts what He wants to do. So we need those two things. And sometimes they work together, the Logos and the, word, the, the Rhema. So while you're reading a scripture and then God speaks to you. So you are, you'll be reading a scripture uh, about uh, someone in history and what they were doing. And then all of a sudden you feel like God's revealing that same lesson that they learned to you. And that is the Rhema from the Logos. Alright, does that make sense? When God speaks to you, the important thing to remember is that He's preparing you. He's preparing you. We'll see what for just now. But He is preparing you. Okay? God's Word is active and not static. It's active. When God prepares the heart of people, it may be imperceptible to them. But you can see it working its way out. It's what I love about the Word. It's why we preach the Word, and the Word only on a Sunday. Why do we preach it? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of people. And we see it's imperceptible sometimes. But you've seen it. Because I know that when you preach the Word, alright, it's words of life to some, and it's words to, of death to others. To some people, you can see the Word starts to activate in their life. They start to, it starts to go into them and it starts to bring about conviction, alright? And then there is a response. I remember there's a story of Smith Wigglesworth. I've spoken about him from time to time. Powerful preacher and a man of God who preached the Word of God uh, uh, faithfully and saw many signs and wonders. And there's a story that is told that he went into this one uh, I think it was a mill or where all these ladies were working, uh, doing something. And they looked at him and they looked at him and they laughed. And they started to all laugh at him when he came in. And he turned to them and he said, what are you laughing at? And then he turned around and he went upstairs with the, with the owner of this mill. And one by one, just saying that thing. Why are you laughing? There was something in it that he didn't understand. Nobody understood. One by one, from laughing, turned to crying. The crying turned to weeping with all the people there. The weeping turned to confession of sin. There is just something that starts to happen because the Word of God is living and active. And you can see it. You can see it working, bringing life. You can also see it work, working, bringing death. When you are speaking to unbelievers and you start speaking of the gospel, it may not even be convicting their sin, but you start to speak about Jesus and all of a sudden there is a conviction that comes up in them. And they hate that light. They hate it. And you can start to see them getting angry. Why do you think people are angry at believers when you think about what we believe in that we will turn our other cheek that we will forgive people that we will do our best to go an extra mile for them we feed the poor and 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 clothe those who are naked the gospel is full of the good of god why do people hate because that word has power for life and for death so when God's Word comes, it starts to 
activate, starts to activate, it starts to prepare the heart. Okay? And this could, it could mean, it could be an immediate thing or it could be something that happens over time. When we came to, to Canada, when God started speaking to us about Canada, it happened a long time before we actually came. A number of years. We didn't even know how it was going to happen. But God spoke and then the preparation began. Right? And little by little, God starts to work in your heart. So that's how it happens. That can happen. That happens about things that are going to take time. But it happens on a daily basis. With little small tweaks that God makes adjustments in our lives as we read the Word and as He speaks to us. So God prepares our hearts through His Word. And so when God speaks, preparation is happening at some level. Preparation comes through His servants. All right? There is a reason that the early church committed themselves to the apostles' teachings. It says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Alright? God uses specific people to pre prepare people. And you cannot get away from that. It is God's way. God has always used that way. A lot of people say, well, I don't want somebody to teach me. I want to learn myself. Sometimes they quote that one scripture which says, uh, No longer will a man teach his neighbor, but they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. That's what they quote. But in all my experience, if people don't submit themselves to the teaching and preaching of the word, I tell you, they go astray. There are too many believers that have fallen away and fallen foul of the devil's snare because they refuse to be consistent in being prepared by God's servants. So God uses servants to prepare His people. God prepares us and then He uses us to prepare others. And that's what it's, sometimes there's a contradiction in people's lives because they want to prepare others, but they themselves don't want to be prepared by others. You can never prepare someone else if you yourself are not going to be prepared by somebody. God uses us to, we, he prepares us through other people, and then He prepares us to prepare others. That's what He does. This is, this is the kingdom way, alright? We, pre, we prepare by others speaking His word into our heart, then He uses us to prepare others. This is the kingdom way. Remember this, for any influence that you have in the lives of your friends, family, children, believers, unbelievers, God wants to use you as an instrument to prepare their heart, which we sang about earlier on. That's what he's after. And you as parents, what are you doing with your kids? You're preparing their hearts. That's what you're doing. You've been given the mandate to prepare their hearts, not just their minds. If you just prepare their minds and their hearts are unchanged, there's no preparation that's happening. Preparation happens when we prepare the heart. I was thinking of that song. Prepare him a room. I know it's a Christmas carol, but uh, heaven and angels sing, you know. Joy to the world. But it's preparation, and that's what God wants us to do, so prepare. But what does He want us to prepare hearts for? This is the most important thing. He prepares our hearts for an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what he's prepared. That's what John the Baptist came, prophesied. I'll send my servant ahead to prepare the way for Jesus. 
And so John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus. I want to say, and we make the distinction that Jesus made, that an encounter with him is not purely a mental acknowledgement or belief. But what he means by receiving Jesus, it's a spiritual encounter. A lot of times people think it's just an observance of, of faith, a belief in the mind. But there is a spiritual encounter that needs to take place. Too many believers have fallen away because of a lack of spiritual encounter. They have simply believed, but they have not encountered. The focus is Jesus, not the experience, although spiritual experience is part of it. It is a deep encounter within. A deep encounter within. Sometimes it's like a waterfall. Other times it's like a river. And yet at other times it's like a well that starts slowly and then bubbles forth. And I think it's important to understand that distinction because otherwise we get caught in the idea that somebody needs to have the same experience as I had. Not everybody needs to shake. Not everybody needs to... But everybody needs to be encountered spiritually. There needs to be transformation from within. And it's an initial thing, the reception of Jesus, John 1.12, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. When a person is born again, it's a born of the Spirit. It's not an acknowledgement that Jesus existed, and that I believe in His teachings. There's a fundamental transformation that must take place. Mm -hmm. And I say that at the peril of people, we do not lead them into a spiritual encounter. It's an encounter that must transform their life from within. Something must take place. Born not of natural descent. It's not natural. It's spiritual. But it's also continual. It's growing in the knowledge of Jesus. So you might say, well, I'm born again. That's cool. I'm fine. But you know what? God is preparing your heart to encounter Him over and over and over and over and over again. And a lot of times we have that initial experience and then afterwards we start to operate out of here. Instead of saying, I need to be growing in my love and knowledge of Jesus. That He transforms my heart completely. Ephesians 1.17 says, keep, I keep on asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Know the Scriptures better? Only if those scriptures lead us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And only if they lead us to encountering Jesus. There is something that needs to happen within us that transforms us into being a person that's encountered with Christ all the time. All the time. He is the well that gets blocked. I was reading about Isaac's wells. And Isaac's wells were... Um, he dug some wells, and then what happened was the enemy came in and filled them all up so that he couldn't get the water that was underneath because they said the water belongs to us. Now the water is, is, is 
representative of the Holy Spirit. We know that. Alright? But this is the thing that I missed. I always thought that the blocking of the wells was sort of suppressing the Holy Spirit. It's not. Blocking up the wells is blocking up encounter with Jesus Christ. When there is no intimate interaction with Jesus Christ, the well is blocked. And you know it. Because it's happened to you if you've been a Christian for any length of time where the well gets blocked up and you feel like there's water there but I just can't get to it. Well, you need to get back to Jesus. You need to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mm -hmm. See, that's what the Holy Spirit actually leads us to. We see that in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. You know, the Spirit comes and He exposes Jesus to John. The first encounter, the glorified Christ, like nothing he'd ever seen before. That's what the Spirit does. And then there's a prophetic element to this encounter with Jesus, which is about proclaiming his coming. In Matthew 25, 1, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took lamps and went out to meet the bride, and five of them were foolish, and five were unprepared. So there is this prophetic element that we are in our day in that place as believers. We are here to be the wise virgins. But we're also here to prepare the way for the coming of our King. Amen. We're not here to prepare the way for a rapture. You see, that's the problem with the rapture. is It becomes the focus of attention. I mean... I, I'm absolutely convinced that there's no pre-tribulation rapture. But let's say I'm wrong. I don't want to prepare people for a rapture. I want to prepare people for a king. I don't want the focus to be on when and where we go. But on the king, Jesus. doesn't matter the other thing. doesn't matter. As long as we focus, and that's what we call in this day, prepare him. Prepare people for him, not for yourself, for him. The five will prepare the So there's this eschatology, theological call in our hearts that we are preparing people for the day that is coming soon. And it is coming soon. I mean, the early church was preparing people for that time. How much more us who are 2,000 years on and seeing the fulfillment of scripture before our very eyes. You know, Jesus said that to the, the, the Pharisees. He says, you know, you can tell the signs in the sky of, of when it's going to rain and when it's not going to rain. But you cannot tell the signs of the time. So believe me, we're in the end. The absolute very end. I do not believe that we will last another hundred years. Honestly. In every respect. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. Very soon. So we're preparing for that. And preparation requires a straight path. To prepare, you require a straight path. A crooked path is a path that makes it difficult for the Lord Jesus to come as King. So in other words, yes, but is not what God has called us to. This is what I've called you to. Yes, but. You know, I've got a I've got some business to go and attend to. 
go out and call the people. Yes, but, you know, I've got a wedding to attend to. Yes, but, you know, there's a piece of land that I need to go and work at. Now, you know, if you know the scripture, what I'm talking about, because those are the excuses that were made about Jesus. And then he had to go and call those people who had no excuses or were, not, were prepared to give and not have excuses in order to go into the... And, and, and so you've got to make a straight path for the Lord. People who don't encounter Jesus, it's not got anything to do with belief or faith. You know that. Encounter with Jesus often, most often has something because there's something we cannot... There's some bend in the path of our life. Instead of making it straight, we just... Not that. There are many that have fallen away from the Lord, perhaps knew Jesus, but on a very superficial level, because they weren't prepared to have a straight path. There are some that come close, but never commit because of that straight path. The issue is always something in their heart that stands between them and Christ that they can't give up. And, and that's for the unbeliever, but also for the believer. The believer can't move on unless he's prepared to give up. You see, it's amazing that God prophesied about John the Baptist and he came stripped of this world's things. There wasn't anything in him that was attractive. He wasn't the most attractive person. He wasn't depending upon his physical appearance. When, when a person's in that place, you can somehow believe them because they're not doing it for any worldly gain. He wasn't dining at fine tables. He wasn't wearing fine clothes. And that in an essence is a prophetic picture of what is required to be stripped away in order to be prepared. He was an example of that, of the world being set aside from him. One calling in the desert, stripped of the world things, worldly things. Now Jesus didn't come that way. That wasn't his calling. But I believe that there is an element in what, uh, what John the Baptist was doing that says, we have to strip away in order to receive Jesus. You can't have Jesus and deeds and thinking that are not his. You can't. And John 3.20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light, as we said earlier, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So acceptance of belief in Jesus has nothing to do with proof, but actually sin that lies beneath. That's why it is there. And you must take comfort in that, because when you're arguing with somebody who says, I don't believe in Jesus, the issue is there's something underneath that they don't want exposed. Lastly, John came baptizing with water, but Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I baptize with water, but Jesus, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Encounter with Jesus always leads and leaves us with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Encounter with Christ 
leaves us with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now this is quite, I mean for me this was a little bit more of a revelation. You know how much I love the Holy Spirit and how I speak about the Holy Spirit and the acceptance of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus that baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. The more I worship and draw near to Jesus in a spiritual sense, in spiritual reality, the more I'm filled with His Holy Spirit. And as I looked back on my life, I realized that every time I'm encountering Jesus, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is such a natural thing. It's not like I have to ask. So you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to draw near to Jesus. Because Jesus says, He will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Baptism and continual infilling of the Holy Spirit is not a focus on the Holy Spirit, but a focus on Jesus Christ. I suspect the more we draw close to Jesus, the more we will be filled with His Spirit. In a spiritual sense. I'm not talking about in a head knowledge sense, but in an encounter sense. That's why encounter is so important. Encounter with Jesus, where our hearts are are changed, are softened, are renewed. And it's not that you can't focus on the Holy Spirit and you can grieve Him. However, if you've grieved the Holy Spirit, you have already grieved Jesus. If you have resisted the Holy Spirit, you have already resisted the Lord Jesus. And so people have thought, well, the reason why a person is not a Holy Spirit person is because they're more focused on Jesus. I says, is it just like that's an anomaly? It doesn't happen that way. But perhaps the focus sometimes is incorrect. Maybe we should focus people back on Jesus and say, encounter Him because then He fills you with, the, with His Spirit. Fall in love with Jesus and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fall in love with Him and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. John 4, 10 says this, Jesus answered here, If you knew the gift of God and who, is it, who it is that has asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you the living water. Okay? So Jesus is the well, the Spirit is the water. John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. For up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So this is speaking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is our connection to Christ that is the focus of receiving the Holy Spirit. I believe. And God wants that for you guys. Preparation leads to encounter with Jesus, which leads to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Our time is up, but I want us to bow our heads and pray. Just where you're at.
And the, and the prayer that I want you to pray right now is, Lord Jesus, cement this word into my heart. Cement this word into my heart. Right now, cement this word into my heart. Cement it into my heart. Perhaps there's some of you here that have never encountered Jesus Christ, ever. You believe in Him. You believe what Scriptures say about Him in your mind, but there's never been a spiritual transformation from within. I'm going to ask right now where you're at. Lord, I pray right now. That's if you are asking with sincerity of heart. Saying, Jesus, encounter me. Jesus, I want to be, I want to encounter you through your spirit. And if you've, as a believer, been walking and you feel like you. You know what? It's probably not that you're empty. It's probably that the well is clogged. You know the Holy Spirit is there. But it's a struggle, Him coming up within your life. Just go before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, help me to come and worship you again. Come close to you again. Start to worship the Lord Jesus. Maybe through this week, I just want you to, I want you to focus your attention on worshiping Jesus. Worship Jesus. Just every morning when you wake up, if you just say, Jesus, I want to give you glory. I want to worship you. If you have time where you can spend a significant amount of time in a place you enjoy, where you worship Jesus, just worship Jesus. Just worship Him. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Just let's all stand and worship Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We give you glory and honor, Lord Jesus. We give you glory and honor, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We have we have another service afterwards. Otherwise, I would continue on. I want you to continue on during the week of just worshiping Jesus, and He will fill you with His with His Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, Jan may need some people if we're not sure who's on the list for cleaning. If you could just see Jan, if you can help just to sanitize the chairs afterwards, you could speak to her afterwards. That'd be great. Thanks.